Beyond the Box, Harry, Meghan, and Oprah, Part 3. Thank you for joining with me as we continue to explore this fascinating, timely, and engrossing topic of Harry and Meghan, the Duke and Duchess of Sussex. I wanted to say Windsor, but that was another couple who was involving an American divorcee and, this case, the King of England. So yes, why are we looking at it? Because it's a cameo of the bigger picture of what's happening in our world. This program, this series called Beyond the Box, which wants to broaden and brighten your world, is so that we can understand the times, like the men of Issachar, to know what we need to do. And I have to say, it's fascinating. I've learned a lot just dealing with a topic that I had no intention of touching whatsoever, since so many had done so already. But before we get to the end, I'm going to deal with something that hardly anybody dealt with, with a few notable exceptions. And that has to do with the role of the family, in this case the royal family, and the implications of that interview towards them. And it is a shot across the bow, if ever we needed one, that we need to look for family, protect family, because it's part of our godly stewardship. Anyway, in the last time we met, we looked at the issue of cultural Marxism, which was very much on display in the Oprah interview. And one of the things I talked about was what is not being taught in schools. I grew up in the United States. In fact, I was born there, came to Christ there, did all my schooling there up to my undergraduate degree in the state of Washington. Then I moved to Australia years later. Now I'm currently based in the United Kingdom. I am a dual citizen of Australia and the United States. And so I have a perspective of the Anglosphere from three different corners of the globe. And we learned that there are schools in the United States that are not even teaching the key events of the country, like the Revolutionary War, the Civil War, the Second World War, and the First World War as well. Instead, they're being taught what is basically a progressivist, neo-Marxist curriculum, critical race theory, the Pulitzer Prize-winning 1619 Project, basically teaching that America is a racist, evil society, and, and things of that sort. And it's not just limited to America. This is a campaign that is throughout the world. One of the things is this. I've learned from my history background that you won't know where you're going until you know from where you came. And you have to deal with history as it is, not what you think it should be or what you desire it to be or somehow tinker with it to suit your narrative. It has to be as it is. That's one thing you can count on in the Bible. I'm currently doing a study in 2 Samuel, which is all about the reign of King David. And it tells the story of David, warts and all. It covers up nothing. And so you see the highs and lows of one of the major characters of the Bible, mentioned 1,100 times in both Testaments. That's how it should be. You see, 
there are things that are not being taught that should be taught in Western schools, whether it happened in Britain or whether it happened in America or whether it happened in Australia or anywhere. We need to know about the abolition of the slave trade by a white British man named William Wilberforce or the Emancipation Proclamation and freeing of the slaves by a white American president named Abraham Lincoln or the abolition of slavery formally, legally, with the passing of the 13th and 14th Amendments of the United States Constitution, or of the successful civil rights movement and the celebrated work of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. Dr. King was no cultural Marxist. He didn't want to destroy America. He actually believed in the American system, the Declaration of Independence, the U.S. Constitution, the Bill of Rights. His goal was simple and noble, just wanting to help the African-American community have a seat at the great American banquet table. What about the Voting Rights Act of 1965, the Civil Rights Act of 1964, and, though it's a very mixed bag, the War on Poverty, Affirmative Action, and let's not forget there have been some high achievers among minorities, including the African-American community. Achievement in sport, business, entertainment, the clergy, the U.S. Supreme Court, and, let us not forget, the rags-to-riches success story of the interviewer herself, Oprah Winfrey, a billionaire and one of the most influential women in the world. We need to have proper, balanced education. And it's interesting that homeschooling in the United States has trebled in the year 2020 with lockdowns and riots and everything else from 3.8% to over 11% of Households with school-aged children are now homeschooling, and I dare say that number will probably rise. That's number one. Number two, the monarchy and Western civilization, which was very much under attack in this interview. Let's make no mistake about it. Let's call the spade a spade. The Oprah interview did have this as a major point. It was an attack on the monarchy and on the British press. Now, they're not one and the same by any means. But both were accused in the interview of being racist and deceptive institutions. In fact, the Sussexes said this was the main reason they left the United Kingdom, because of the racism and the deception by the palace and by the press. Now, these are very serious charges, but we are duty-bound to ask the question, are they true? And part of the issue is the palace was not given the right of reply. Although I might add that after the George Floyd riots in Britain in the summer of 2020, Boris Johnson, the prime minister, called together a commission to check or investigate about systemic racism in the United Kingdom. The commission, I think, had 12 people. All of them were minorities except for one white man. And they were distinguished, credible, honorable people. And they came to the conclusion that while racism is still an issue, particularly online, it is not in the system. 
people are not held back because of their race, that Britain has successfully integrated people of all kinds of races over the last few decades, and some of them are high achievers, like people on the panel. Now, it's interesting because the people on the panel were multi-ethnic. Their critics, by and large, were white left-wing people who basically they didn't like what they heard because, well, it didn't fit the narrative. And I dare say that would hold true if it was British society, it would be with the monarchy as well. But let me continue a little more specifically. Harry and Meghan spoke positively, both of them, about the person of the Queen herself, Elizabeth II. But let's remember something. She's been the monarch for seven decades. She is in her own right, as a person, a walking institution. Not just representing it, but she is it. So attacking the monarchy is the same as attacking the monarch. They are inseparable. Elizabeth II is one of the most respected, loved, and admired persons, not just in Britain, but throughout the world. She has some incredible qualities. She is dedicated to duty in a sterling way. She also is a living link to history and heritage. This is a woman that knew people like Winston Churchill, Dwight D. Eisenhower, John F. Kennedy. In fact, she knew all the American presidents since her reign began, as well as all, of course, the British prime ministers, of whom they are her, you know, they are servants of Her Majesty the Queen, and many other world leaders, Indira Gandhi, for example, or Nelson Mandela, who's one of the few people on earth that was allowed to call the queen by her Christian name and get away with it. So she is a living link to history. She is a symbol of the constitutional arrangements that have been very sound and proven. Separation of powers, balance of powers, because the crown exists in the middle of the constitutional order, it is extremely difficult for any branch of government to overtake other branches. And then, of course, she represents an apolitical head of state or leadership above politics. All of this provides stable governance. One of her finest achievements in all the years of her reign is as the titular head of the Commonwealth of Nations, a cause to which she has devoted her life. The Commonwealth, and I'll say this probably more than once, is like a big, happy family. Now, to equate the crown and the commonwealth with racism is a serious accusation, but I dare say, to be honest, a spurious one as well. Please do not confuse the commonwealth with the British Empire. They are distinct. Prince Harry seemed to do precisely that when he gave a broadcast in the year 2020. The British Empire was definitely colonial. Not that that's all bad, but they're definitely colonial, hierarchical, and incorporated lands and people involuntarily. From the people, that is. The Commonwealth is a different creature altogether. It comprises 54 sovereign nations in voluntary relationship, and all are on an equal footing. Citizens of the member nations come from a variety of different races and are celebrated as such. As I said, it is a wonderful multi-ethnic family. So between British society 
being inclusive and multi-ethnic, and the Commonwealth of Nations the same, it's very hard to sustain a rational, objective argument that the palace and the monarchy are racist. Prince William gave one of the rare writer replies when he said, we are very much not a racist family. Now, of course, the monarchy has been and will continue to be attacked by those who despise it, despise Western civilization, of which the crown is a potent symbol, and it's clearly despised by globalists and cultural Marxists. They have no time for it because they are among all the chiefest of Republicans. Now, spare a thought for the queen and her beloved and recently departed husband, Prince Philip, both in their 90s. They have served the kingdom and the commonwealth for seven decades with utter distinction. The Duke of Edinburgh was in hospital during the time of the Oprah interviews. And this, no doubt, weighed heavily on the Queen regarding her husband of 73 years. Can you imagine just, you not only have your husband in hospital, but imagine now your grandson and granddaughter-in-law are having a tell-all interview and bringing the cause that you have served so hard into disrepute. Imagine what it's like for that moment, the added indignity of having the Harry and Meghan interview with Oprah given to an international audience of tens of millions equating your life's work with racism and deception. Something about the scenario is not right. Now, there's an American civil rights warrior and, of course, an African-American, Bob Woodson. He wrote an article called The Civil Rights Movement I Was a Part Of Has Been Betrayed by a Twisted Progressive Ideology. Now, this is what Woodson said, quote, The left has today weaponized race, not for the purpose of healing wounds, but for gaining power. We see this same pattern of weaponizing race emerging through our elite institutions, from Hollywood to major corporations and government agencies, unfounded and often life-altering allegations of racism from the relatively privileged get more attention than the myriad of challenges facing low-income and working-class Americans of every race. This is from Bob Woodson. The single most important issue, the family. To me, this is more important than everything else I have spoken about up till now. In Exodus 20, verse 12, the sixth of the Ten Commandments is this. Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. And Proverbs 29, verse 11, the first part of the verse says, He that troubleth his own house shall inherit the wind. Family is God-ordained and sacred. None are perfect, but we need to honor and respect our family, particularly parents and siblings, as we would Almighty God. It is God's command. If there is a problem, settle it within the family. Don't broadcast your troubles for the whole world to hear. Prince Harry, who did less talking than Meghan in the Oprah interview, still managed to speak negatively about his immediate family, especially his father, Prince Charles. Quotes like, he won't take my calls. He cut us off financially. I feel so let down. 
Harry has a strong and supportive brother named William, and he also was criticized, as well as his sister-in-law, Kate. Harry called the post-interview reconciliation phone calls with both Charles and William, quote, unproductive. Now, honestly, does Britain and the world need to know this? International television is not the place to air family grievances. Just imagine the heartache for Charles, William, and the rest of the family as the laundry list was hung out before millions. Harry was much loved as a person for his royal work, his patronages, his role in the Invictus Games, and as a soldier in Afghanistan. His father, brother, grandparents, and other near relatives have always been supportive of him. And we must ask, is this the thanks they get for their investment of love? Do they not deserve better? However, unfortunately, Prince Charles did exactly the same thing, although it was years ago, in a famous tell-all interview with Jonathan Dimbleby back in 1994. While admitting infidelity after the breakdown of his marriage to Princess Diana, Charles went on to say his mother, the Queen, was distant emotionally, and his father, Prince Philip, was accused of being harsh and hectoring. Now, can you imagine how the Queen and the Duke felt about this back in 1994? Apparently, the Duke of Edinburgh did give a one-line response that he and his wife, the Queen, did the best that they could. No doubt. There is a maxim. If the person or persons are not part of the problem or solution, don't involve them. Very sound advice, and I gave this, I believe, in part one of this series. For all the verbal hand grenades that were calmly lobbed towards the monarchy and towards the royal family during the Oprah interview, this public airing of family disagreement, in my estimation, was the most serious result of all. Remember, the royals cannot normally respond in public, and in many ways, it's better that they don't. That keeps them above the fray. The Queen, apparently, has a wise motto, never complain and never explain. Having shared all this with you, can I just say, and I mean it with all sincerity, it would be most appropriate to pray for the Queen, the royal family, and yes, for Harry and Meghan. There still is a plan, divinely for everyone's life, and happy will they be when they're flowing in that divine plan. I firmly believe that God can, and through our prayers and support, will bring great good, even out of things that were not so nice. So I thank you for joining with me here at Beyond the Box, and we have only truly, sincerely goodwill for all parties just mentioned, but most of all, just remember, a kingdom is coming, and a king is coming, which will never have an end. <laughs>